everyone. It's episode two of our liver meeting coverage. Coverage? Welcome back. Yeah, welcome back. Our uh, very not live coverage <laughs> of the liver meeting. They don't know that. I think they know that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, today we are extremely excited to have Dr. Christina Gady. Uh, she is an internal medicine resident at USC, coming mm-hmm. on to discuss her oral presentation, which is on Monday, uh, Striking Rural Urban Disparities in Hepatocellular Carcinoma Trends in the United States Between 1995 and 2016. Um, she joins us to talk a little bit about the process in creating this research project and also some of the findings that they had, um, which, again, you can learn more about on Monday. Yeah, we really enjoyed the conversation, and we hope you do as well. So stay tuned. So we are very pleased to have Dr. Christina Ganey with us from USC. She's a third-year resident, uh, internal medicine resident, and aspiring gastroenterologist and future transplant hepatologist. Christina, thank you so much uh, for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on. It's really an honor. Well, uh, unlike Adam and I, uh, you do have an oral presentation at this year's liver meeting uh, titled Striking Rural Urban Disparities in Hepatocellular Carcinoma Trends in the United States, 1995 through 2016. Um, So maybe we can just start by you telling us a little bit about what uh, caused you to be interested in this or how you sort of came about uh, arriving at this research question. Yeah, I mean, I honestly feel just super lucky. I was like introduced to my mentor, Dr. Um, Kali Zo at USC, and she's really helped me guide me through this whole thing. I was just shocked to learn about it, you know, being being honored to have the oral presentation, all of that. But just in general, I think that, um, you know, the topic of rural health disparities in particular has been gaining more and more attention in recent years. Um, you know, I think the latest numbers are showing that close to 20% of our population in the U.S. like lives in rural areas. And, you know, we're learning from health data, health outcomes, even, you know, during the election, that there's <laughs> a very distinct population, right? And like, we, you know, you can't lump it together with urban populations, like even if it's just demographics, that kind of thing. And so, you know, recently for a number of different cancers, including like cervical and colorectal cancer, uh, they've shown that there's pretty distinct rural health disparities. But, you know, at the time when we were thinking about this project, there's there was really no data um, looking specifically at HCC incidents in particular, especially like over time. That's very interesting. Um, yes, I think we've all been looking at maps of county level data uh, nonstop for the last few weeks. Yeah. So, I know uh, a lot about. <laughs> I know. I, I can't. I I couldn't watch. I could not watch, you know, as like single votes coming yes. in and like, oh gosh, it's way too nerve wracking. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of exciting things <laughs> uh, and large databases. So for your study, you use the North American Association of Central Cancer Registries data set. Um, and uh, that is one it's of many, uh, one of, yes, indeed, uh, one of many different large databases that people uh, sometimes use for research. And so I'm curious, uh, what was your experience with sort of navigating a large database like this? And do you have any sort of tools of the trade or tips for other trainees that may be 
looking to get involved with sort of large database research with one of the big perks being that you're not doing chart review then. Absolutely. That is a huge perk. (laughs) I will say that, you know, in the process of trying to learn all the different types of cancer databases, it was a lot to process, you know, like understanding who contributes to them, what they include, what they don't. Also just keeping all the acronyms straight, you know. So I would advise that, you know, to get help early, to try to talk to someone who's, you know, comfortable with using these databases. Um, I think really the first thing to do would be at least to do background research, to see what's been published, you know, what um, databases are people using in the field that you're trying to study. So, for example, you know, in cancer research, the, you know, the Cancer Institute's the SEER database is probably the most commonly used. And then, you know, as I was researching HCC incident studies, they've used other ones like the USCS. And, you know, you can, there's a lot of like combinations. You can see how they can quickly get complicated. But I think that at least doing that background research to understand what the strengths and weaknesses of each database are um, will really help you when you're like writing the paper and just, you know, even be a being able to justify like why you use that specific one. Um, Also, I think that at, you know, different institutions, people have access to different databases, a lot of the paid ones. Um, You know, one of my co-residents at USC had gotten, you know, funding for a certain database, like the National Inpatient Survey. And so, you know, a lot of different residents were like, you know, banking on that and publishing from that. So I think there's a lot of, you know, well, hopefully no one from the NIS is listening right now. <laughs> yeah, but. Yeah, sorry, sorry. <laughs> it's a, a collaborative effort, you know, like research in the cla- one large research group. So the other thing, yeah, the only th- other thing is to really figure out like which variables you're trying to look at. So, you know, if you, on most websites, you can go look at a data dictionary, it'll tell you exactly which variables are available and how it's derived and explaining that. Um, And then, you know, finally just making sure that you're very, you know, deliberate about uh, your selection criteria, documenting it. And uh, because you need that foundation, right? Because you don't want to go and process all the data and then have to go back from the beginning um, to start all over again. So I think those were, you know, it was definitely a learning process, I will, I will say. So um, your presentation is on Monday, and we encourage everyone to, to check it out. Um, but if you could just sort of summarize your find, what your group found um, when you're looking through this database. The the fifty thousand foot view, sort of the the flyover view, if you will, of the areas that you were studying. <laughs> the like, yeah, like the twenty four elevator pitch uh, <laughs> of the study. <laughs> so we were looking at HCC incidents from the years nineteen ninety five to two thousand sixteen, and we saw that you know since the year two thousand nine, there is this growing rural urban disparity. So in urban areas, like the rate of increase um, is slowing. And so, you know, these incidence rates are kind of leveling off or plateauing, which really reflects a lot of the data that we've seen um, just looking at the U.S. in its entirety. But if we look at rural areas, you know, new diagnoses of HCC are continuing to increase at a rate of 5.7% a year. And, you know, this is so essentially over time that disparity gap is like growing. 
Yeah. So I don't know. I thought what was really interesting is that you were not only looking at the fact that the disparity existed and I'd love to, we can certainly get into more as to why there is such a gap um, between the two, but you went sort of the next step and we're actually looking at rates of increase or decrease as well. And so it seems like not only is there this disparity in how much um, HCC is being diagnosed, but it's actually different in the two different populations. Is there any thought as to why that may be happening? Yeah. So that is, you know, the million dollar question, right? Um, so I have a lot of my like personal, you know, thoughts on this. Um, By all means. I do. <laughs> so it is, it's hard to know because the data from the database doesn't include etiology of the HCC. Um, from what I've read and things like that, it looks like, you know, a lot of the HCC that we're seeing now, especially 1995 to 2016, a lot of it is due to chronic, you know, hepatitis C in the U.S. So I do feel like that in rural areas, it is possible that hepatitis C and cirrhosis in general is being like underdiagnosed and undertreated. But at the same time, I don't think that's, you know, the only thing that's going on. So in the research, it was interesting because, you know, before 2009, the rates of increase were very similar between rural and urban areas. So I actually think that it's a possibility. This is just a, you know, wild conjecture, but, you know, we may We have welcome in- that on this podcast. <laughs> it's, <laughs> yeah. it's more or yeah. less our brand. <laughs> so. Okay. Yeah. Just going to throw it out there. Yeah. yeah. So my, my thought is that maybe in urban areas, you know, we've been able to improve, you know, screening efforts to the point where we're kind of reaching like the true incidence rate of HCC in the population. So maybe that's why it's plateauing. But, you know, in rural areas, because there's so little access to primary care doctors, so few access to specialists, we might still, you know, be trying to play catch up. And that's why the rate is, you know, continuing to be to increase um, at the rate that it was before. So that's that's, you know, one one possibility. Uh, the other possibility is that, uh, you know, different types of risk factors such as, you know, obesity, um, diabetes, like lack of access to healthy foods and exercise, that kind of thing, excessive drinking, that kind of thing. But I, because, I, I think that those kind of issues are going to be more important in the future as NAFLD kind of takes over um, as a etiology of HCC. Yeah, it makes so, me wonder too. It, it's hard to say, yeah. Sorry, it makes me wonder too if, if the number would be is even more stark because you wonder what the access to screening is among the rural population. And so you might actually be seeing an under-representation of exactly how much HCC is out there in the rural community, which might which makes your your findings even more even more interesting or even more stark. Um, any any you know further plans to to take this data to you know any next steps? I guess is the best way to word the question. Oh, the next steps are already in process. Yeah, they're already in process. As I'm learning, you know, writing, putting you know, the presentation and putting together the paper are like com- two completely different beasts. So that process um, is underway, but uh, I definitely want to look at mortality too. Mm. Um, this database doesn't have mortality data, um, but, you know, we're trying to look at other uh, sources of data. So Interesting. And uh, last question on this, and then we'll get to more exciting things. I'm just kidding. This is, this is very <laughs> exciting. Um, but 
So you had sort of mentioned that this kind of disparity has been seen in other diseases and potentially a little more fleshed out. Um, and to your credit, I think you're sort of one of the first people in your group is one of the first groups to sort of look at HCC specifically. But is there anything to be lent from uh, the research or data in some of these other cancers uh, for the rural-urban divide uh, that have shown effective ways to try to decrease this disparity? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, so I do think that, you know, for the other cancers, uh, like colorectal cancer, there was, um, the issue really rel- like lies in like screening, mm-hmm. they wanted to increase screening and also for like cervical cancer as well. So, you know, I think that increasing both screening efforts and, you know, public health infrastructure in rural areas, um, it's going to be really important already. So I don't know if you guys have heard of like the project echo um, for, yeah, for hepatitis C. So um, I think echo stands for like extension of like community health, healthcare outcomes. Sorry, that's a terrible, but um, no, I think, you, you know, I it. think, okay. I, I, um, there's so many acronyms. I can't remember what they stand for, but, um, I, I thought it was actually really exceptionally visionary, uh, with using like telemedicine, teleconferencing, um, and even before, you know, the era of COVID. So I think it was started back early two thousands by, uh, hepatologist, Dr. Aurora. He was at, you know, your university of um, New Mexico and, you know, he was really trying to treat as much hepatitis C as possible, but there's only so much you can do, like at a large academic center, you know, you can't reach everyone in Nevada. Um, so he really developed this like tele, quote, telementoring um, kind of educational model to to help teach, not, not just like telemedicine where you're like taking over as a specialist and treating all the patients, but you're overseeing all these like primary care physicians who are, you know, seeing patients like in the rural communities and you're providing education, you know, case conferences and all of this is like tele, you know, versus teleconferencing. So I think, you know, those kinds of things and, you know, more recognition during COVID times that we can actually switch to you know, more telemedicine and trying to reach out to people in rural areas. You know, I think all of those efforts are going to be really, really important and are going to make a big impact. Thank you so much for coming on. Before you leave, we obviously need to do a a mini lightning round for the mini pod. Um, And Dr. Ganey did tell us that she is a listener of Liver Talks, and we're about to find out if that's true. Um, oh, I was thinking about this. I was like, oh, can I just, God. Is this the first person we've interviewed who's actually... No, I guess other people. At least they've said they have. No, <laughs> but I, we're about to... I have listened, okay? All I right. Well, then, this, this is one of the only lightning round questions we've done for every single podcast. So, Dr. Ganey. What is your favorite liver cell? See, I knew I was waiting for this. And then I was like, oh, I haven't heard anyone just say hepatocyte, which is like really embarrassing and boring. But like, I I mean, it does like all of the work, right? Some would say it's an important one. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They're all important. No. Yeah. They're all important. Yeah. (laughs) And I was like, oh, yeah. I mean, everyone else has been on, like, obviously knows way more about the liver than me. So I was like trying to Google and I'm like, oh, I need to review some histology. And I was like, oh, God, 
if I was on the spot, I feel like the only the one I would really nail would be I'm kind of saying it's kind of an embarrassing answer. Well, but. you nailed it. I think you've got it. <laughs> Thanks again for coming on. Um, for those of you who'd like to check out her presentation, it's on Monday. What time is it? So it's 9 a.m. Eastern time, a.k.a. 6 a.m. on the West Coast. Oh, yeah. So yeah. anyone on the West Coast, yeah. it'll be an early morning. Nice and early. Yourself included. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm going to be barely awake now. All right. Well, good luck with the oral. And good luck with the match. Thank you. And good luck with the match. Uh, but thank you for coming on. All right. Well, thank you so much again to Dr. Christina Ganey, uh, our first trainee on the show, uh, but definitely not the last. Uh, I think that was a very interesting conversation. And tomorrow we're highlighting another oral presentation for Monday uh, with Dr. Cameron Pormond from the Mount Sinai Hospital looking at uh, burnout rates for transplant hepatologists. So uh, it was a great conversation and I hope you guys enjoy it as well. Um, Thank you as always for listening. Bye, Adam.